0: This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience and maximize service efficiency? Visit gomoto.com to learn more. G O M O T O.com.
1: Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a 1-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com/slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to this weekend drive edition of Daily Drive for the first week in January 2024.
0: I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today, we're breaking down some of the biggest stories in the auto industry from the past week and looking forward to what's in store in days ahead. Jamie, welcome to Saturday. How are you? I'm hanging in there, Kel. How about you? I'm doing all right. We had a very, very interesting week in the news and let's get started. So this week, we saw strong sales results for the fourth quarter. What is it going to take to keep this momentum going into 2024? I mean, the market is starting to get somewhat back to what we would call, I guess, normal. But do you think this will be the year that incentives will make or break automakers?
1: Kel, you're you're hitting on one of my buttons here, which is normal <laughs> and new normal. And and there's a case to be made that we're in a new normal, right? Before the pandemic, sales were above 17 million for five straight years. I mean, that was not a blip. Uh that was that was real mm-hmm. demand. Uh, vehicles being made and bought, you know, both fleet and consumers. Of course, then we had the pandemic, a lot of economic turmoil. But as we've come out of it, you know, vehicles are at such higher prices. And so are interest rates. And it's just kind of shrank the available number of, you know, consumers who can buy a new vehicle. So there's a lot of talk that maybe maybe the market's natural level these days is more like 15 and a half, 16 Nobody is predicting sales of more than 16 and a half. And I guess that makes some sense. Uh, We spoke with Jonathan Smoke earlier this week, and he brought up how the higher interest rates in particular have really priced some people out of the market. The high rates not coming down very aggressively really put a
2: lid on on what's possible uh, in terms of the demand. And I think one of the characteristics we're seeing in the second half and particularly the fourth quarter, has been evidence that we are reaching the end of the pent up demand
0: that people have been lined up to buy new vehicles at whatever cost. Do you think there will be more massive pricing out this year?
1: It's going to be interesting to see. I think, you know, we we should see a little more supply at the lower end, you know, some of the vehicles that automakers were reluctant to produce. Uh, when supply of chips was so scarce, it was so hard to make vehicles, they only wanted to make the highest priced, highest margin ones. Uh, Now we're getting to where they're they're starting to produce more of the lower priced ones, and those are selling really well. There are a lot of people who would love to buy an affordable vehicle. (laughs) It's just affordability is such a challenge. So we'll see more of that. And the other thing we're seeing, just like we saw in the fourth quarter, is the return and maybe some rebalancing between retail and fleet. So I think some people were surprised to see GM put up a, a positive number for the fourth quarter. That was probably driven by fleet sales by Buick. Automakers will use that lever when they need to. Sometimes deeply discounting vehicles because they don't want to get stuck with so many that they still have to deeply discount them anyway. But after you know letting them sit around for three more months, so you just you know sell them and move them on factories seem to be running. We should have, you know, more growth and steady, uh, you know, steady sales next year. But yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to tell if we're ever going back to 17. I kind of feel like we will, but we just got to see how everyone competes. I see.
0: Well, speaking of growth, You and I were talking about this earlier this week, and this one kind of blew my mind. But uh, BYD is gaining momentum on Tesla heading into the year, but it hasn't sold a single vehicle in the United States. Now, should Tesla be rattled? And is this putting the rest of the EV market on alert that this Chinese company that now has a presence in Mexico can possibly qualify for EV tax credits? Also, Jamie, one moment. Wait for it. Do you think other Chinese brands will use the same loophole? Well, BYD
1: is in the market in Mexico, but they're not building in Mexico. So I think their vehicles are still coming from China. And so they're still face a tariff, but they're looking at building a factory in Mexico. And that could really change the game in the U.S. Uh, But just to have them in the market at the price point they're likely to be at. But especially as an EV, as a with affordable EVs that get, you know, could get the full U.S. tax credit or a partial U.S. tax credit. Uh, That could be really challenging for everybody in the market, for Tesla and for the incumbents. I I do want to point out, you can't go to a BYD store in the U.S., but you can ride in a BYD. If you live in L.A., uh, they they buy some buses from BYD. So uh, they are here. I think they might even be electric buses. They're either hybrids oh, or they're wow. electrics, but uh, they are here. Um, it's a funny company, right? It's the their product line. It, it's not like uh, General Motors or Ford. <laughs> it's not like to, uh, <laughs> Toyota. You know, they've got buses, they've got heavy trucks, but they also have a lot of really uh, cheaper, smaller vehicles. Most of them wouldn't even appeal to an American audience. But yeah, if you're Tesla, you know, you've been the world's largest EV maker Still finished this year as the biggest, but uh, BYD beat it in the fourth quarter. We'll probably beat it again this year and maybe, you know, for the foreseeable future. We'll have to see kind of how that company strategy plays out. Does Tesla really keep trying to grow 50% a year? Uh, It's going to be an interesting race between the two, although they are sort of playing different games. BYD mostly coming up from the bottom with low price vehicles. And Tesla, of course, started with the Model S. Uh, and work their way down to more affordable Y and three, that are
0: still fairly pricey vehicles. So Jamie, you don't think that the folks that want to try to get their hands on that seventeen thousand dollar, twenty thousand dollar EV wouldn't just succumb to a BYD because of they just they just want something that's affordable since EVs are priced so high here in the United States, like the Teslas and the Rivians and things like that.
1: You know, that's, what's going to be such an interesting test of the market if, and when BYD comes in, I mean, it probably doesn't really compete with Tesla uh, for Mm -hmm. consumer dollars or wouldn't, if it were toe to toe in this market, might not even really compete with Chevy. It might just sort of grow the market all on the bottom end because there aren't, there are no $20,000 vehicles electric or otherwise. What we've been talking about a lot of times is, well, okay, some people will buy an EV because they want the performance, they want the cool new tech, or they want the, you know, the feeling of being green, of not polluting as they drive. Uh, but there are challenges. There are lifestyle challenges. Uh, whether you put a charger in your home or you've got to find public charging, and you know, those early adopters might be willing to make that extra effort you know, there's some question whether regular, cons, regular, quote unquote, regular consumers, you know, but mainstream consumers uh, really are willing to do that. If you give them a cheap car, that certainly makes it more compelling to try to make those lifestyle adjustments. If you could have a car with a $400 or a $300 payment for a new car, that's going to open up a lot of folks who maybe don't have a garage. It's going to be a lot of challenging puts and takes, pushing and pulling on the demand, but uh, would be really fascinating
0: to see, that's for sure. Yeah, I would just think with how tight the American dollar is right now for the majority, you would want to do, I would think you'd want to do that, you know. You, you, I wouldn't want to have to sit here and figure out how I have to pay for a $45,000, 50000 EV if I can get one that's, you know, the the range might be slightly you know, shorter, but I can get it for 20 grand, 18 grand. I think I'm willing to make that sacrifice.
1: When the average car costs more than 40,000, absolutely.
0: Right, right. Uh, Jamie, you also spoke with our own Mark Homer this week. Now, this was interesting. Now, a prankster got a chat GPT bot to agree to sell it a Chevy Tahoe for a (laughs) dollar. Now, the story itself is funny, but in all seriousness, what do you think dealers and just the auto industry as a whole have to do to avoid bigger problems. Can you regulate this, you know, to a certain capacity? How do you fix something like this?
1: Yeah, I don't know if regulation is the best way to do it. You know, the way technology evolves so fast and Congress moves so slow, I don't know if we want want to go with that path, but you know, the players in the market, players in the economy, you know, they have to regulate themselves, right? They have to regulate their use of technology. Right, right, right. And so, you know, If you're a a dealer or you're, you know, an executive at one of these major manufacturers, like you want to use artificial intelligence, generative AI, whatever, you know, machine learning, whatever you want to call it. You want to get more efficient, but you've got to have guardrails. There's so much that these, you know, bots, these programs don't know. They know how to appear smart. It doesn't mean they actually are smart, and yeah, they can do dumb things. They can obviously, as this uh, story showed, they can get tricked into some silly things. But you know, if you didn't have, for instance, the guardrail—the one on the the one dollar Tahoe—you know, that was not a binding offer, right? And even though I think right. even the bot may have said this is a binding offer, the bot was not uh, able to do that. So the company, the dealership, wasn't on the hook uh, for getting you know robbed of their Tahoe, but. If you didn't put the right parameters on how your you know business development center works, how, the, how you use the chatbot on your site, it could be really problematic.
0: Yeah, man. We all saw Terminator. You're going to have Skynet take over. Uh, coming up, everybody is headed here to Las Vegas for CES. This coming week, our own Pete Bigelow joins us to talk about what's in store at this year's show. That's next on The Weekend Drive.
1: Daily Drive is kicking off the
0: new year by reviving an old name in a new format. We're bringing back a weekend drive edition of Daily Drive. Jamie and I will go deeper into the biggest
1: automotive stories of the week. Every weekend, you'll hear fresh insights, analysis, and what has me running hot, if not overheated. To think that's gonna get done in a year, a little
0: over a year, is um, foolishly optimistic. That's that's a little dark, but let's (laughs) shift to something a little more positive. You'll also hear from our experts in the newsroom here at Automotive News about the latest industry trends and topics.
2: EV sales are not declining. That's the narrative we're kind of seeing outside of the industry. They aren't declining, but the pace of growth definitely has slowed.
1: Come back this weekend for our Weekend Drive edition of
0: Daily Drive. And of course, tune in every weekday for all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Listen to Fred Hayes, Service Manager at Temecula Valley Buick GMC, and Philip Candido, Fixed Operations Director, talk about their experience with GoMoto in their service drive.
2: The part of
1: Recontract that makes my job more satisfying is being able to get more vehicles through and do a better quality inspection. The whole process is simplified. I have doubled the amount of inspections and repairs I can do a day.
0: Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency just like Temecula Valley? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com.
1: Welcome back to Weekend Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. CES 2024 Media Days starts Sunday in Las Vegas. The show has become one of, if not the, premier live event for the auto industry in recent years. But this year will be a little different, with Stellantis pulling out of the show and less presence from top-tier automated driving companies. Pete Bigelow leads our tech and innovation coverage at Automotive News, and will be covering all of the biggest stories and trends from CES. Pete Bigelow, welcome to this inaugural weekend drive edition of Daily Drive. Thanks, Jamie. It's great to
2: uh, join you here on the uh, the very first one today.
1: Well, it's of course, it's an important week as we start the new year and we're packing our bags and getting ready to go out to Las Vegas for CES. Its really become, you know not only one of the biggest trade shows in the u s. It's also really become sort of the dominant auto show in the u s and arguably in the whole world. <laughs> in the past, it's always been, you know, a lot of g whiz technology. I'm sure we'll see some cool stuff. Uh, but it uh, seems like less of emphasis in the last couple of years on, uh, on robo-taxis and and self-driving technology. Certainly. It's uh, it's kind of funny to think back to 2015, I think it was,
2: when Audi did the big trip from Silicon Valley to, to Vegas, uh, under um, autonomous technology, and that was sort of like the breakthrough moment, I think, for self-driving tech at CES. Uh, and now it's uh, it's really different this year. It's really low key, which I think kind of fits the the overall self-driving landscape. Uh, if anything, we have a lot of self-driving truck companies that are exhibiting, but they're not giving the demo rides through uh, through Vegas and down the Strip like. Like some of the other companies have in the past uh, on the passenger carrying side. And I guess the one other thing we have this year is the uh, India Autonomous Challenge doing the race at night under the lights uh, at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. So everything in in closed, uh, you know, closed road conditions on the self driving side this year,
1: more or less. Still autonomy, but a little more controlled. Yes. And I think that, you
2: know, (laughs) back to what I just said before, I think. With some of the problems we've seen with crews this year on public roads, a lot of people looking toward off-public
1: road practical use cases in mining, forestry, et cetera. Uh, But one of the... Commercial as a commercial endeavor, emotional. The Hyundai Active joint venture. They are still, uh, in Las Vegas. That's where they're planning to launch service, or have they started already? No, they haven't, Jamie. I think that uh, they're coming
2: close, um, and they're going to start in Vegas on on certain routes. And that is kind of is something I maybe would have expected at CES, to be honest, given the. The location and ostensibly emotional says that they're very close to launching. So something to keep an eye on here in 2024, but but maybe not this particular week.
1: Well, and with the state of you know that industry, caution is the watchword, right? You, nobody wants to rush anything and make a mistake and really sink the entire concept of robo taxis.
2: It is, and I feel like we're probably one incident away from from being to that to that point where. You have emotional left. Is certainly Waymo. I think has shown the prudence in uh, the way that it's deployed in Phoenix. Years go by. San Francisco. They set up the trusted tester early rider program, uh, and they're moving kind of one inch, one block at a time. But I think that is the prudent path, which may not be a perfect path. You know, it doesn't guarantee anything. But certainly, with the hindsight of looking at how how everything went down with Cruise, that that certainly seems to be the the right way to go about this
1: before we move on to other technology, you know, you mentioned the Indie Autonomous Challenge, and that's going to be at night this year. What's uh, how's that going to work? And uh, what else? Is there anything else new about it this year?
2: I don't know that there's anything else new about it. I mean, well, that's
1: enough. Do, going at night is probably enough.
2: That probably is. That, and, you know, there is something new. I, I know they're unveiling a new robo race car uh, at a press conference on Monday. I don't know if that's what they're racing you know, three days later, I guess that would make sense in some way, but obviously putting a prototype or concept out, uh, three days later might be a little fast to to see it actually, uh, on the raceway. But, uh, uh, so they are, they're doing a lot of interesting things as, as they have, I know that they've been racing internationally this year. Uh, so, so a lot of interesting things with the autonomous challenge.
1: I mean, these are not races like an Indy 500 or, uh, the F1 race, uh, where they're, you know you've got a whole pack of cars out there trying to get in front of each other uh, what is the race like and, and what is the point of it yeah i think the point is
2: there's a lot of automotive technology a lot of autonomous driving technology that's being tested and pushed to pushed to its practical limits so just like we see innovation uh in the traditional auto industry kind of trickling down from from uh, the raceway uh the hope is that we see the same thing on the autonomous side. You know, Luminar is a big sponsor of of the Indy the Autonomous Challenge, and I know they've tested a lot of their uh, you know latest lidar technology on the race cars before it starts kind of trickling into more practical plans. So that that's one example of the point. And I think you asked, what is it like? Yeah, it's typically two cars are on the racetrack at at a given time, and they're they're one is the leader, and the other is kind of charged with passing uh, the leader. And that's how you advance or, or fail to advance in the uh, in the brackets uh, style of competition.
1: Cool. Well, that'll be interesting uh, to see how it develops. What other kind of tech are you interested in looking for at this year's show? You know, obviously generative AI is a buzzword everywhere. You can't
2: escape it really here in uh, early 2024. And I certainly think uh, we're going to see AI in in vehicle cockpit applications. In infotainment, you know, I'm looking at Qualcomm, Nvidia, Mobileye. Uh, certainly, uh, the latter doing a lot of automated driving uh, or driver assist systems that we're going to see. Uh, so, I think all those three companies that kind of started as the chip companies and, and kind of moved up the value chain will be kind of continuing to show what they're doing. And, and I'm guessing, I'm guessing them or someone else is going to be talking quite a bit about, uh, you know generative AI, cockpit assistance,
1: voice assistance, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, it's so funny as you're describing it and and naming some of these companies, so many of the technologies are overlapping and intertwining. You know, the thing that uh, I'm kind of captivated by is this uh, advances in the sensors and visioning. I'm hearing about, you know, glasses to help you know, blind people see or like to replicate a seeing eye dog or to help people with macular degeneration, which my father-in-law had suffered with before he passed. And, you know, these are, you know, some non-automotive applications, but using sometimes automotive technology that you would use for self-driving that would be integrated with AI, <laughs> you know, to make make it safer in the cockpit. So airpa- airbags deploy more safely. Just a, a lot of interesting things with with sensors, with computing, with processing to, you know, integrate all these functions, hopefully in a better than human or at least a human assistive way. Totally. It's really interesting that you say that because I think,
2: you know, there's examples of automotive companies doing things in non-automotive applications and, and some of those wearable sensors might be one. And it's hard at CES now that all the automotive stuff is concentrated in West Hall. Like now we have to walk to the, you know, we have to walk over the bridge to, back toward the main uh, main mothership of the Las Vegas Convention Center to, to see some of that stuff. But maybe one that we will see on the automotive side, and I'm, I'm taking this totally in the opposite direction, uh, is, you know, here we have Hyundai as a traditional, you know, auto giant, and one non-automotive thing we'll see from them specifically is their air mobility division, Supernal, is going to uh, unveil their next generation eVTOL aircraft at CES as well as a, a vertiport at West Hall. So that's you know their vision of what's a pickup and drop-off location ostensibly in a major urban area looks like. So, so that's another way we see uh, automotive companies pushing pushing the boundaries on on what their technology can do writ large.
1: I I would say that's another category where caution should be uh, the watchword. We don't need mistakes with with flying cars or small jets or whatever they are. No, I don't Uh,
2: think that there's no... Plans, to my knowledge, that they're actually going to be flying this thing at CES, but uh, you know that will come some some other day, on a, probably in the Mojave Desert somewhere, I would guess. But uh, yes, caution, caution being a key on that front as well.
1: I don't have the experience to you know judge with my eyes the way I would you know a concept car uh, or a production car, but I'll be curious to see how it evolves. Uh, we saw, it was, I think it was two years ago uh, that they brought out that sort of first prototype. It was very large. <laughs> it was very impressive. You know, not more, it felt more like an airship than a flying car. You know, just, a. it had a very big presence. I'll be curious if this is more, you know, van sized, you know, something a little more, uh, compact, but a lot of things going on with that that should be interesting to see.
2: There are, and there's a lot of things going on with Hyundai at the show overall as well. That's like one, one bullet point of many that, uh, that they're showcasing. And it's, it's really interesting. I feel like Hyundai's in the spotlight of the show, Honda a little bit, and, uh, that might be the the biggest announcements from the traditional automakers. Obviously we have some, some companies that are, are conspicuously absent this
1: year. Well, sure. The, none of the Detroit three are there, even Stellantis, you know, which pulled out, you know, just last October, Presumably, after a lot of money would have already been spent to secure floor space and design uh, their display. And it's curious trend, I think, in shows. It's funny you mentioned you know, Hyundai sort of dominating the news cycle or potentially dominating. It might, that might be an omen for the whole year because we've really seen most of the incumbent automakers pull back from auto shows, pull back from these big events that everyone's at. I think they're concerned about their share of voice and they don't want to spend a million dollars or $10 million or more, and just be one of 10 or 20, you know, companies trying to get some attention on that day. You know, since COVID it's really been Hyundai and Stellantis have been the two global automakers that have propped up the big U.S. shows, the New York and LA in particular, you know, Stellantis pulled out of LA, they pulled out of Toronto and Chicago. We don't have confirmation yet on New York. I'll be curious to see what they if they participate in Geneva or Beijing, the other sort of big first half of the year shows. It kind of looks like a market, you know, like they're just cutting back the marketing spending. Uh, The company says it's case by case, but so far, every case that's come up has seemed to be a no, we're not participating. Uh, So it's a it's an interesting point in the evolution of trade shows in the auto industry and maybe a trend where it's Hyundai's the big dog.
2: Yeah, it's, and it's interesting too to think more like over the years, CES has kind of been accused of being you know one of the reasons why the traditional auto shows have struggled. We've seen all these debuts at CES uh, instead of Detroit, maybe instead of LA a little bit. But now this is the first time we're at a point, at least in the post-COVID landscape, where we're like, oh, these companies aren't CES either. So uh, I'll be interested to see... You know, is this a one-year anomaly because of the, you know, the strike in a lot of ways, or or is
1: this the start of a, a trend? It it could be product cadence as well, you know, but for the Detroit three and what they have to show in terms of EVs, in terms of uh self-driving, you know, autonomy or driver assist capabilities. I do want to make the distinction. I mean, CES really did stomp out the Detroit Auto Show as a January event because they were so uh, similar in timing, um, a lot of it was really symbolic in 2016 when GM decided to unveil the Chevy Bolt, uh, their EV, their Model 3, Tesla killer. Uh, they unveiled that in at CES one week before the Detroit Auto Show. Came to Detroit and did like a technical briefing, you know. So it really did hurt the Detroit show in that sort of competition for media attention. With the other shows, it's really bifurcated where CES is the place to show your concepts, your far out concepts. And I would say, you know, maybe Tokyo is another show very much like that. And the other shows, you know, used to be kind of for production reveals. Uh, we're kind of seeing those in offsites, but it's still the other shows, the traditional auto shows are still really important for consumers. Uh, for auto dealers to show the consumers what's on the lot, what technology is out there, maybe introduce them to some EV technology they haven't had the opportunity to sit in and ride around in before. But yeah, the good old days of the North American International Auto Show, or where all of the big uh, shows had concepts, production, you know, consumer world, and you know, CEOs making news all over the place—those uh, days are gone.
2: No question no question I do think it'll be interesting to see how the tech evolves at CES obviously we've talked about a lot of the AI that's being infused into the cockpit and seeing seeing that aspect of automotive tech uh, be unveiled and you know maybe get a glimpse of of what's coming you know five years from now it's interesting I was just it used to be it was kind of be like so far out this is like five ten years away uh, now it seems like there's a little more realism to what we see at, at CES a little closer to a production
1: vehicle. Yeah, great point. You know, last year Stellantis speaking of Stellantis uh unveiled their electric uh Ram EV, the the Rev, and it's coming to market this year. So, yeah, it was not quite production ready and still had some of the fantasy uh fantastical uh tech on it that I don't think we'll see in the real world, but it was a very near production ready concept and that is a new thing for CES. We'll see how that evolves uh this year and in the coming years. CES, where to go to get your dose of reality. (laughs) All right. Pete Bigelow covers technology and innovation. He leads our team on that here at Automotive News. Pete, thanks so much for joining me here on Weekend Drive. I'm so glad to join you, Jamie. We'll see you in Las Vegas. One development since we recorded that interview, I had said that we didn't know about Stellantis' plans for the New York Auto Show, but now we do. Stellantis said it will build a camp Jeep driving course there. It's not clear yet about a press conference or what the show floor stand will be like. That's all for this Weekend Drive
0: edition of Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Callen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on CES, sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back on Monday for a conversation
1: with Dunn Insights CEO Michael Dunn about why he says every US automaker not named Tesla should be terrified of Chinese competition. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode.